Corinthians chapter 16. All right, if you need a Bible, raise your hand and we will get one to you. 1 Corinthians 16, we will finish, especially since this is the second service. I can go to like one or so, two. <laughs> can I encourage you to read ahead? We will be in 2 Corinthians next week, Lord willing, just we'll keep rolling through the New Testament verse by verse. And Wednesday night we are in the Psalms, so I know that's been a huge blessing for me to go back through the Psalms again with you guys. So if you can join us for that, we are in the book of Psalms. Where are we at in Psalms? Like 33, 34, somewhere in that region. So we're shooting for five, expecting two. So read ahead. 1 Corinthians 16. Hasn't it been a great journey through this book together, this letter together? We have been encouraged and challenged, uh, exhorted, for some of us perhaps rebuked, maybe even, uh, maybe even just stirred up as well. I think this last chapter, there's a little of everything as Paul um, wraps it up. And, and remember, this is a corrective letter or a corrective epistle, if you will. Paul is writing to correct a number of different issues um, problems that were happening within the Corinthian church. And you remember the church, they were suing one another. They were divided in the church over um, one leader over another. They were getting drunk at the communion table. Their services were out of control. And sadly, when they gathered together, it wasn't for the, Paul said, it wasn't for the better, it was for the worse. And one of the reasons was, was that love was lacking in their fellowship. The very thing that we are to be identified by is our love for one another, correct? Didn't Jesus say that? That we are to, are, are, we're to be recognized by our love for one another. And this is the only church, so check this out, this is the only church that Paul had to define what love is. In 1 Corinthians 13, he had to remind them, really, that the love that God has poured out into our hearts needs to be worked out practically in our lives. And there's some things that clog that flow from happening. And, you know, just studying this week and considering something else, this was a radically gifted church, radically gifted. But here's the thing. They were an immature church and spiritual giftedness does not always equate to spiritual maturity or vice versa. And so we want to be growing not only in maturity and in our giftedness as we step out in faith. And something else this week that I never really recognized or hadn't dawned on me till this week is that Corinth was a wealthy city. Super wealthy, super uh, immoral, um, super idolatrous. Um, they worship sports. I mean, some of this should start to sound familiar. <laughs> and the church was wealthy also. And the danger, what happens is when we are prospering, it can take us to a place of self-sufficiency. We can start to think, wow, I am a self-made man. I don't need, and, and we may not say it verbally, but we can act like we're not trusting in the Lord. Kind of like the church of Laodicea. Jesus had to correct them. They said, we're rich, we're in need of nothing. And Jesus said, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. You're in need of me. We, listen, we are desperately in need of Jesus Christ. No matter where we are, we need to stay in that place of saying, Lord, I need you. I need you every day. 
whether we are abased or whether we are abound, like abounding, like the Apostle Paul said, I've learned to be abased. I've learned to abound. I can do, and and, and how, how did he learn that? How could he say that? Because it says in that in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's how, no matter what, I've learned contentment, no matter where I'm at, because I'm looking to him. I'm looking to the Lord. But it seems to me that the church of Corinth had left that place as well. Uh, simply uh, rejoicing in God's goodness, thanking him, saying, Lord, we need you. Because when the Apostle Paul finishes this letter, he's going he's gonna to say a lot of different things, and he's sharing the truth in love with them, some hard things, and sometimes we have to share hard things with one another. Correct? Are you with me? Yes. And, and, and it should be out of love. Because, listen, truth without love is harsh, isn't it? But love without truth is, is not good either. It produces sloppy agape, right, if you will. You get sloppy. And so Paul's sharing the truth and love with the church. And the first thing he talks about is he talks about outreach. He's going to talk about reaching out to those that are hurting in the body. He's going to talk about sharing the gospel. And, and I've been sharing this probably for the last couple of weeks, how vital it is, how crucial it is. We as a church need to be communicating the gospel to keep sharing. Why? Because if you don't evangelize, you will fossilize. Some of you will get that later. It's okay. We dry up is the idea. Is that we're not sharing the good news. It's, it's, we've kind of cooled off perhaps in our love for the Lord. And so we talk about the things we love. I know some of us, you, I know exactly what you love by what you is that what it sounds like when you're working on your, your social media? And, and I want to encourage you guys again. I know this is all super long. Uh, this is a super long intro. Can I encourage you guys to pray before putting stuff on social media? Like, would you seek the Lord? It says in the book of Proverbs, the righteous man studies how to answer. And we can be such reactionaries. We can be just, man, we can so misrepresent Jesus and the heart of God by the things that are coming out of our hearts onto our fingertips and then going viral rather than being those that preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what has the transforming power in our lives. That's what brings healing and help to us. People need Jesus Christ. They don't need our opinions. I heard one amen. Okay, just... People don't need our opinions. They need Jesus. They need his word. The word of God has the power, the DNA to change our lives. And if you believe that, then you will be someone that communicates that. And that's what's coming out. Jesus said the good man out of the good treasure in his heart brings forth good things. We need to be putting that good treasure in. That good stuff will come out of our lives, of our lips. The thoughts and meditations of our hearts would be pleasing to him. And I'm encouraging myself this morning, you guys, because I'm, I'm one of the biggest reactionaries around. And I've learned that, man, it's like Peter. It's like foot and mouth disease. You know what I'm talking about? Ready, shoot, aim. But you make mistakes and you end up hurting people. You end up hurting the cause of Christ. You end up dishonoring the Lord. His name is not hallowed in our lives. And so... Paul addresses this first issue. Let's check it out together in chapter 16. He begins by talking about outreach. And he says, now concerning 
the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to who? To the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. And so Paul is speaking about here this special offering, this special love gift, this collection of money that would be sent to who? Who would it be sent to? The church where? In Jerusalem. And so remember, the church in Jerusalem is where it all began, correct? At this time, though, what what was going on is this church was now poverty-stricken. They were hurting financially. They were hurting economically. They were hurting socially as well. How do we know that? Well, if you go back and look at the Gospel of John, chapter 9, I encourage you to go check it out. It says there that anybody that would name the name of Jesus Christ as the Messiah, that they would be excommunicated, kicked out of the synagogue. And when you get in that community, if you're kicked out of the synagogue, you are no longer uh, welcome in the community. People would not go to your business. So that was a problem. They had a ton of widows that they were taking care of also in the church. But also third is that a famine had hit the land. There had, they had come on hard times There had been difficulties that the church was facing. And now the Apostle Paul, what is he doing? He's going to all the different churches. And it says there in verse 1, the church is where? In Galatia. That's modern day Turkey. You remember on his missionary journeys, he planted all these different churches there in Galatia. And so he is calling upon the churches. And by by the way, they were by and large Gentile churches, non-Jewish churches. Or, or people getting saved that didn't come from a Jewish background. Are you with me? This is so crucial because you see the, the heart of Paul in this. Why? Because there was a, remember, there was a, there was a big uh, culture problem between Jews and Gentiles, wasn't there? Not a, it was a racism issue. Racism is not just a skin issue, it's a sin issue. Okay? And so we know that in Ephesians 2, the wall has come down in Jesus Christ. That he's made us one, one man in him. And so what would this do? The Galatian churches sending offerings, some of the Gentile people, uh, Gentile believers, sending offerings to churches, and then some of them coming to Jerusalem to bless them. What would that communicate? We love you. We're all a big family here. That would be so awesome at, if there's any other walls that were up, it would take those walls down. It would unite the church together in a special way. And think about what's going on in Paul's heart. He came out of a Jewish background, didn't he? You know the Jews believe, you know what they believed? They believed the only reason Gentiles or non-Jews were created was to fuel the fires of hell. I mean, we laugh, but that's what they thought. That we're like one of those Duraflame logs. <laughs> they are... Just that's what Gentiles are created for, to stoke the fire. So think about the think about the issues that Paul has, the walls that have come down in his heart. He's a man of love, isn't he? Isn't that what happens when you give your life to Jesus, though? He floods your heart with his love. That's what the Bible says that has happened. That he's shed his love abroad in our hearts. 
And so let me draw your attention to verse 1. It says there, um, also, so you must do also. And so there's an, there's an extra collection. By the way, that word uh, collection means an extra collection that was on a voluntary basis after their initial collection. And so they would have, during their time of worship, uh, a time when they would, they would have a time of giving, a place of giving to the Lord each week. And so, like, we have a box in the back. We don't send around the chicken buckets. You guys probably know that by now. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But it's interesting here because Paul says, so you must do also. So giving, Paul says, was not an option. It was an expectation. And then it says, look at verse 2. When do they gather together to worship? The first day of the week. What day was that? Sunday. Sunday. It was Sunday. That's when the church gathered. If you're taking notes, Acts chapter 20, verse 7. It says the disciples met on the first day of the week. They gathered together for worship, for the word of God, uh, again, for singing, for singing songs, for getting into the word of God, for breaking bread together, for fellowshipping together, to pray together, all those cool things that we do here as well. But can I just point out something? Giving was a part of the worship service. And I think there's something important about that. Giving is as much a part of the worship service as singing songs, doing our Bible study, submitting ourselves to the Word of God. Listen, everything we have is a gift from God, correct? By His grace. Everything belongs to Him. We're simply stewards. Everything's on loan from from God to us. We don't own it. It's all His. We are simply giving back to what what is God's in the first place, saying, thank you, Lord. And what's, what's interesting, just to consider, is the words of Jesus. He said, to whom much is given, much is required. And it is more blessed to give than to receive as well. And so look at Paul says in verse 2. He says, let each one of you. So God is equal opportunity, correct? Each one of you, everyone gets to partake in giving, in blessing. And then it's, and he says, lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper. And so Paul says, put some money aside during the week. As God has prospered you. Has God prospered you guys? Has he blessed you? He has, hasn't he? He's been so good to us. So generous to us. And listen, uh, giving is one of the most controversial issues in the church today. Are you guys with me? It is, isn't it? Some of, I know some of you guys have told me. You've come from churches where they would pass the chicken buckets a tally would be made, brought to the pastor, and if it wasn't enough, guess what? It's triple tide Sunday. Here we go. Send the buckets around another time. I heard that. Went, what? Are you kidding me? It's crazy. There's so much manipulation. There's so much uh, putting a burden on God's precious people. We're going to talk about this in just a minute. Lots of abuses where money is made the main thing. And if the church begins to have issues financially, what happens? The pastor or the, the whoever, the preacher, gets up and he makes it sound like God is going bankrupt. Is God going to ch- file chapter 11? He's not. And listen, if it's going to go under, you know what I say? Let it go under. I don't want it. Lord, if you're not, if you're not holding us up and uplifting us, man... Let it die. 
We want him right at the center, leading, guiding, and providing. Listen, where God guides, God provides. He has taken care of this church and the gent man, there's so many generous people in our church giving not only not only treasure, but time, talents, treasure to the Lord, to the work of the Lord. And it's so glorious to see what God does in and through our lives, not only in our church, here in our community, but around the world also. And so I would point out this morning that there's no mandates for tithing for the church in the New Testament. Jesus mentioned tithing to the religious leaders of the day. You guys remember what he said to them? Remember, they, what were they tithing? All the way, they were, they were doing it all the way down to their spices and herbs. One for me, nine for God, or what, one for God, nine for me. I mean, can you imagine? They're so meticulous in this, in their sacrifice and their offering. And the Lord said, listen, you're majoring in the minors. You, you're doing this and there's no mercy. There's no love in your life happening. There's no love of God. There's no mercy. Jesus was like, go and learn mercy. Go and do a Bible study on mercy. Because that's not even in your vocabulary. Jesus, it also talks about in Hebrews 7, uh, tithing is mentioned. But listen, tithing is not strictly mandated for the church, but giving is. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, when you give, not if you give, but when you give. And he said, what, don't toot, your, don't toot the horn so everybody takes notice, right? And, and we don't do that here. We don't have a thermometer on the wall. We don't have chairs with people's names on it. Again, we, we're going to see in just a moment what Jesus or what God's word says about this, concerning this. And so um, second, let's, do, let's look at it. 2 Corinthians 9. Flip forward with me real quick, just while we're on this topic of giving. Because I know there's some people going, ah, oh, man, I've been coming here for months. I haven't heard pastor talk about money at all. And you know what? We don't. Isn't it, ref- isn't it refreshing, though? But when we see it in Scripture, we talk about it. Are you with me? Listen to what Paul says, 2 Corinthians 9. I love this. He says, But this I say, verse 6, He who sows sparingly, What's that mean, sparingly? Just a little, right? He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one, it's all of us, let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Did you catch that? That means your giving is between you and Jesus. Is that great? You're going to stand before the Lord. What you did with the stuff he gave you. I don't need to twist your arm. In fact, it says in the next part of the verse, not grudgingly. Oh, I gotta give this church. <laughs> Listen, God doesn't want it. If that's our heart, and this is not by compulsion, too, right? Or not out of necessity or compulsion. It's not out of arm twisting or manipulation. But what does God love? Look at the next part of that verse. For God loves a cheerful giver. Wow, I get to give to the Lord. And something happens in our hearts when we start to give. 
And you know what? It says in the next verse, let me get ahead of myself. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you. His grace flowing. Why? That you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. If I'm going to give, who's going to take care of me? God will. He says it there, doesn't he? God will not dry up the giver. If we become a reservoir rather than a channel, sometimes he turns off the spigot to get our attention. But when we are a reservoir and pouring out our lives and giving of our lives, not just necessarily monetarily, but giving to the Lord in different ways, serving people, serving in the church, guess what? God will give you exactly what you need. His grace is sufficient, gang. And he will supply what you need Every single time he's faithful. He's prospered us. Back to 1 Corinthians 16. Because he's, it says there, lay aside as God has prospered you. He's blessed you. And I think personally, this is my own opinion, this is how God raises his kids. What do you mean by that, Mike? I mean, I am so selfish. But every time I give, I give away a little bit of my own selfishness. And I have a lot to give away. This keeps us in a place of not being hoarders, not allowing our possessions to possess us. Listen, giving is a condition of our hearts. Jesus said, store up your treasures in heaven where moths and rust can't get to it, right? For where your treasure is, there your what? There your heart will be also. And so as God blesses you, as he gives the increase... You get to bless him. You get to invest in his kingdom. You get to invest in his work. Isn't that amazing that Jesus shares his work with us? I mean, just consider that. He would share his work with you and I. And listen again, giving is not merely financial. There's plenty of ways to give. And so it should be a joy as we give from our hearts. So Paul says back in chapter 16, he says... So do this, bring it the first day of the week, give that there be no collections when I come. I think Paul's saying here, I don't want to come to Corinth and there have to be a special offering. Hey, the Apostle Paul is here and everybody feels now obligated to give. He's like, no, I don't want anyone to feel any pressure whatsoever. You guys take care of this, handle it before I even get there. And then look at verse three and four. Paul understood accountability, gang, and that is so crucial in ministry, is having accountability for finances, is what we're talking about this morning. He says, and when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it's fitting that I go also, they will go with me. So what is Paul saying here? He's saying, pick some reliable, dependable dudes and get get some, some... letter of endorsement for them pick them you guys pick them and then when they get when the collection is all gathered they can take it to Jerusalem and if they're if I'm able to go awesome if not awesome as well a couple of things here Paul understood accountability very important in in church correct there's a lot of churches that go down or pastors that go down ministers that go down get sunk because of a love of money, and it's corrupt. It's not above board. 
And so there needs to be accountability here. And Paul understood that. And so he says, get your own people. I'm not going to touch the money. By the way, I have no idea what anyone here gives. And I have purposely done that because I don't want to, I know my own heart. And my heart can be, have partiality, can have favoritism from day one, nor have Tanya and I ever touched the money. We've always had people to handle it. And that's, that's what my pastor did. And so I think it's a good example. I think it's a good precedent for ministry. And so Paul says, your guys handle it. But there's something else here. I mean, a lot of pastors and, and, and Bible teachers talk about the accountability issue, but there's something I think even, even is equally important in this passage. And what is that? He says, by you picking guys that would represent you and sending them, that's going to speak volumes to, the, to those people in Israel, to those people in Jerusalem. What do I mean by that? Well, you guys know. We do a lot of missions work. And you have no idea, some of you do, how people are blessed when we go visit them. When we bring a love gift from the church and say, this is from God's people, this is from Jesus for you to do whatever you want in ministry. You guys want to dig a well? Let's dig a well. You want to go buy ice cream for the Filipino kids? Let's go do it. And then let's go on the, what's that, jeepney? Let's go on a jeepney ride too. And, and all they know is, this is from people that love Jesus. These are people that care about us. It's, listen, it is an awesome testimony. And here's the deal. When we pass through that veil into eternity, we're going to see some of those people. They'll be coming up to you and saying, thank you. You must be from Calvary Chapel. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for supporting the missionary there, coming into the mission field. And Paul's like, why don't you extend the vision of who the church is besides just your little holiness huddle there in Corinth? Because that can happen when we're going through a season of prosperity, we can get so inward looking. And Paul's like, you need to see outwardly here. This is what we're doing. We are going to bless the saints. By the way, who are the saints? Bad team from New Orleans? I'm just kidding. Sorry, to me. Saints, that's us. Look around the room. Correct? Either you're a saint or you ain't. And if you're, I, I say that with a tender heart this morning. If not, you need to come to know Jesus. It's not an accident you're here or listening. The Lord loves you. And so, listen, can I encourage you guys also, if you're going on vacation... I saw some heads pop up when I said that. <laughs> you guys going on vacation? Could you pray about maybe Utah? Visit Dave and Shannon. A pastor like to go to Mexico. You know, Joe and Lupita, we sent them out to to plant a church. They are right in a resort town, but they're on the other side of the tracks in the barrio. You can go and chill out and have your little vacay and then maybe spend a couple days in the barrio with them. And minister to the people. It'll bless them so much. I mean, we've got lots of different people that we outreach with and to. Pray about it, how the Lord would stir your heart. Some of us can't go. And so what's the next best thing I can do in the name of Jesus? How can I give them a cold cup of water? Jesus said, if you do that in the name of a disciple, you will not lose your reward. That's good news, isn't it? Well, Paul, look at verse 5. He says, Now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia. 
for I am passing through Macedonia, in parentheses, uh, and it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go, for I do not wish to see you now on the way, or just for a brief moment, but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. So what does Paul do here? He lays out his what? His travel plans, his itinerary. Did you guys see that? He lays out his plans, his itinerary. He says, it's on my heart to travel through Macedonia. That's the northern part of Greece, modern day Greece. He had planted churches there. He knew people there. He wanted to go there and then cruise southbound down to Corinth to spend some time, some quality time with them. Does that communicate anything about Paul's heart, by the way? He wanted to spend quality time with them. I love being with He's saying, I love being with you. I want to be with you. That's remarkable because did the church love him? By and large, no. They couldn't stand him. And this is his, isn't this amazing, his heart for them? Later it's going to say in 2 Corinthians, though the, the less you love me, the more I love you. God help me with that. If I thought half the church hated me, you know what I'd say? Sayonara, baby. <laughs> I'll go somewhere. But God help us, right? But there's a crucial statement. Did you see it at the end of verse 7? Five words. If the Lord what? Permits. Or if the Lord wills. How did Paul discern God's will for his life? This is important because a lot of people come and ask me. How do I figure out God's will for my life, Pastor? I have no clue, dude. But we can look at, let's see what Paul did. What did Paul do? He's a pretty good example, isn't he? What did he do? Well, he made plans, didn't he? Did he make plans? He made some plans, but they were flexible. And he qualified the whole plan. This is so important. He qualified the whole plan with one statement. If the Lord permits. If the Lord wills. Are there any planners here? You guys got some planners? Don't lie in church. You can, it's okay to raise up your hand. What about control freaks? Control freaks here. Thank you. <laughs> Listen, it is okay to plan. But it is not okay if my plans exclude the sovereignty of God for my life. Listen, God is good at changing our itineraries. Has anybody found that to be the case? Am I open to his leading? Am I flexible? Blessed are the flexible, right? To go with the flow. Listen, if God wants to change my plan, he can change it at any time. Why? Because his will, his ways are best. He sees the whole picture, doesn't he? He sees the whole race. He knows all the issues. He knows what's best. Don't we, parents, don't we want what's best for our kids? Parents? Or do we want to jack up their lives? No, we don't. We love them. We want the best for them. Our, how much more our Heavenly Father? Listen, um, can I encourage you, hold your plans loosely. And if God interrupts you, it's for a good reason. Amen. I have learned, and um, I'm so grateful, God brings things into our lives that we don't plan for. And it's, it's there where He has worked His greatest miracles in our home. I'm so thankful to have a special needs child. 
wasn't on the radar. Wasn't unexpected. Wasn't it was it was unexpected, but it wasn't unexpected by God. He knew, and it's turned out to be the greatest miracle in our lives. And you guys can testify too. To when God changes our plans, He interrupts our plans. It's always if you love Him this morning, it's always for the good in your life. Yeah, Amen. And so Paul says, this is on my heart. I'm desiring to see this happen, but Lord willing. Whatever the Lord wants to do. And then he says in verse 9, but I will tarry where? What does tarry mean, by the way? To wait. I'm going to stay put where? In Ephesus until Pentecost. Why? Look at verse 9. For is a reason word. For a great, means big, and effective door has opened to me. And there are many, what does your Bible say? Many adversaries. Listen, so what does Paul say here? I'm staying put because God has opened this amazing door of ministry. It's a big door. It is an effective door. But there's lots of adversaries. There's lots of opponents. There's lots of difficulty. And sometimes when there's lots of adversity, what do we tend to think? Maybe I didn't hear from the Lord here. (laughs) Maybe this is not God's will. This is tough. This is challenging. This couldn't be God. Right? I know some of you guys have coworkers that are gnarly, man. Give you problems, hassle you, and harass you. And you're like, and you, and you come up to me and say, Pastor, I think I need to change jobs. Why? Because everybody's coming down on me, man. Are you living for Jesus? Yeah. Why would you leave? You should jump for joy, Jesus said. Really? Is that what he said? Yeah. He said, blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness sake. Jump for joy for great is your reward in heaven. Literally jump up and down. That's what Jesus says. And then give him a high five and say, thank you. You you got me some reward in heaven. Thank you. And let them think about that. (laughs) Let that little seed start germinating in their noggin. You know what I'm saying? Or in school, same thing. I need to move schools now. If pastor think I need to move schools, I'm just getting... Are you living for Jesus? God's word says what? All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. We should expect it. It's going to be ramping up as you live for the Lord. God's opened a door for you. And listen, Paul Paul didn't knock the door down. We, we have any, do we have any door knocker downers here? Is that even a word? I don't even know if that's a word or not. But you try to huff and puff and you try to make it happen in your own strength. I'm going to knock this door down and nothing's going to stop me. Listen, God is the one who opens doors for us. It's kind of like you step the door at H-E-B. It's like supernatural. It's awesome. You're not striving. You're not trying to make it happen. It's just, I don't, it doesn't make that sound like, whoop, Right? And you, but you have to choose to walk faithfully through it. Paul chose that, even with heavy opposition and challenges. Listen, and there's people also, and I love you guys. It's like I'm praying for God to open this door for me, for this job, or for this person, or for this. And, and can I encourage you? 
Every time we see open doors biblically, it always refers to the sharing of the word of God or the gospel of Jesus Christ. So good. Just make sure you know when we pray that together that God will use you or wants to use you to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're taking notes, Acts chapter 14. The Apostle Paul, when he returned from his missionary journey, he spoke about God opening a door to the Gentiles to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a door opened by the Lord that Paul recognized I couldn't open it on my own. If you're taking notes, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to read it. 2 Corinthians 2. Paul said in verse 12, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord. So Paul was preaching the gospel, and bada bing, bada bang, the door opened up. Colossians chapter 4, verse 3. Paul writes, Meanwhile, praying also for us. Why, Paul? Why'd you need prayer? That God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains. Revelation 3, this is one of my favorite passages. Jesus said to the church of Philadelphia, speaking to us today, he who has ears to hear, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Every time we see open doors, it's always in relation to sharing the gospel, sharing the word of God. Are you still with me? You're still connecting? You good? Okay, cool. God opens doors, but he doesn't push us through. We have to step through by faith. And guess what? Whenever serving God, whenever, whenever you're serving God, adversary comes, adversaries come with the territory. It's going to happen. So verse 10, check it out. Let's keep rolling. And if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you. How? Without fear. For he does the work of the Lord as I also do. Therefore, let no one despise him, but send him on his journey. How? In peace, that he may come to me, for I am waiting for him with the brethren. So who does Paul mention next? Timothy. You guys remember who Timothy is? Paul viewed Timothy as a son in the faith. Timothy was kind of like a sidekick, an assistant, a protege. Remember, Paul would send him to different places as a proxy, representing Paul in different areas. Are you still with me? Correct? You guys remember this? Paul would send him out. So Paul is sending Timothy to Corinth. And it's interesting because it says in verse 10, make sure he doesn't have fear. Timothy had a little fear issue, didn't he? Anybody here have a little fear issue? Amen. God, listen, godly men and women sometimes have fear. Are you with me? David said, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. God's answer for fear from Genesis to Revelation is do not fear, I am with you. But Timothy had this little issue that God was working on. Does anybody here have little issues God's working on? God had this little issue. He was also despised for his youth. 
Maybe even for his leadership. Do you know that can happen in ministry? It can happen. You can't do this because blank, fill in the blank. And you know what? The Lord wants to use your life. No matter what little issues you got, no matter what weaknesses you have, the Apostle Paul would encourage Timothy in that second epistle to him and said what? Stir up the gift that's within you. Don't let it go dormant. God has not given you a spirit of fear or timidity, but power, love, and a sound mind. Listen, Timothy, don't let, that, don't let your gifts go dormant. God is with you. He will strengthen you. He will empower you. And something else here. It's, he says, let no one despise him. You know what he's saying? Don't let anyone mess with my boy. I like that. He's learning to be a pastor. He's doing his best for the Lord. Don't let anyone mess with him. Here's a chance for you to encourage him. Cut him some slack. You know, there's two things here I, I notice. Just application. Listen, um, those people that have dedicated their lives to serving Jesus, don't give, them, don't give them grief. Don't give them a hard time. There is enough opposition on the outside that they have to deal with. They don't need more opposition on the inside <laughs> causing problems. Give them, what did, they, what did they say? What did Paul say? Give them peace. I like that. And then second is, can I encourage us to reach out to the younger generation that want to serve the Lord and encourage them? Timothy was a young man. And Paul encouraged him. He's telling the church to encourage him. We have young men and women in this church that are gifted, that want to serve the Lord. Can, you, can we come alongside them and encourage them, pray for them? Can we, can we do that as a church, you guys? Amen. Parents, I know, listen, and this, this has broken my heart over the past decades in ministry, is seeing a young man or young woman, woman with a call in their life to go in the mission field. And they've communicated it. God has ministered to them. And the parents are the ones that snuff it out in their life. And for me, that's such a heartbreaker because they want Junior to live the all-American dream, have the couple thousand square foot house, killer ride, 401k, all the stuff, all the fixings. And God has this calling on their life. And God has gifted them and wired them. And all of a sudden, what do we do? We wet blanket that. God help us. We need to be encouraging this next generation. Not to store up our treasures here, but in heaven. Eternity. How long is eternity? Forever. It's a pretty long time. All the stuff of this earth is going to burn, baby, burn. And here we are. We're building these little kingdoms here. I'm building my kingdom. Like Paul said to the Philippians, hey, you're piling up manure. And what do we say? Don't bother me. I'm piling up my manure. That's what Paul said about the, the, the praises of men, the accolades of this earth, the stuff of this earth that's going to burn up in a pinch of ash. The only thing that is going to last is what we do for Jesus, motivated by love in our hearts. Yeah. Listen, time is ticking, man. And we need to encourage this next generation to mentor, to support, 
to disciple, to bless them. Well, look at verse 12, speaking about another dude. Now concerning our brother Apollos, he was another gifted dude. I strongly urged him to come to you with the brethren. I wanted him to come, but he was quite unwilling. Doesn't that sound English? He was quite unwilling. Sorry. He was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has a convenient time. I like that. Paul's not lording it over Apollos. And the timing's not right. So Paul sends Timothy and others to Corinth. I think it's great. Paul's character here, he's not insecure at all about Apollos going. He wants Apollos to go, to go even though there's a division in the church over the leadership. He's like, I don't care if you follow Apollos. I just want him to come there and to minister to you all. That's Paul's heart. And then he goes on in verse 13. We got a little machine gun exhortations. There's like six or seven. It says in verse 13, number one, watch. Number two, stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. Let all that you do be done. How? With love. And all the verb tenses, check this out in the Greek, are continual, habitual. Continually watch. And it's a military term. It's, and we got some military people here, right? So they, in those times, you would have someone guarding while everybody rested. They would stay alert and awake, watching out so no enemy would come up so everybody else could rest. And the idea is to be sober, to be vigilant. Peter says that too. Because the, the devil cruises around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may pick off. And so watching out for danger, being protective. Listen, not only watching out for danger and protective in my own life. Is that important to do? The, the Bible says guard your heart with all diligence. For out of it spring the issues of life. But can I encourage the dads, the moms? Are we aware of what's going on in our homes? Are you aware of what's going on around us? Are you helping your family connect the dots spiritually that they might see what's going on? It's important that we are watching, you guys. Paul doesn't just, you know what? I need some little extra fluff to put in here at the end. What should I put? This is important. We are Jesus said, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. And it's repeated over and over and over throughout the New Testament. There's a picture of defense and protection, caring for my spiritual walk and caring for those around me that the Lord has entrusted to my care. Stand fast. Look at verse 13. Stand fast in the faith. Don't depart from the confession of faith you've made. Don't lose ground in your relationship with the Lord. Don't give in. Don't let anyone or anything move you away from Jesus Christ. By the way, that's the safest, most secure place you could ever be is, is right next to Jesus, making him number one. Don't bail out on him. Don't be a flake. Be dependable. There's enough flakes and undependable people out there. Don't be, Paul's saying here, don't be that way. Be, stand fast in the faith. How do you become dependable? steadfast. How does that happen? By spending time with Jesus in the Word. Trusting Him. Knowing what you believe and why you believe it. Remember, Jesus had some hard words. Doesn't Jesus have some hard words sometimes? You guys ever find that? He did. John chapter 6. Jesus had some heavy words for His followers. 
And it says in John chapter 6, verse 66, John 666, I don't think it's an accident, many of the disciples walked with him no more. It's heavy. And then remember what Jesus did? He turned to his guys and what did he say? Do you want to, do you want to depart too? You want to bail out? It's like, go for it. I'm not going to twist your arms. He doesn't use force. The Lord doesn't use force, gang. What, remember what Peter said? It's the one time he didn't put his foot in the mouth. <laughs> what did he say? Where would we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. Where, where would we go? There is nowhere else to go. And then he says, be brave. Grow up. Stop being immature. This is an immature church fighting. Selfish. It also means to be courageous. Like God said to Joshua, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Listen, we operate in the authority and name of Jesus Christ. Be strong. Trust in the Lord's strength. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Look to his resources, to his wisdom. Don't settle for spiritual immaturity but to grow and to be strong in your walk with him. And everything you do is to be done with love. Look at verse 14. Without love, we learned in chapter 13 what? Everything that we do is useless. Verse 15, I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, the first converts there, and that they, they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints that you also submit to such and to everyone who works and labors with us. So Paul mentions this household, this whole family. Of who's the, what's the dude's name? Stephanus. And if you have a, anybody have a King James Bible, by the way? King Jimmy? King Jimmy? Anybody? Going once, going twice. Does it say that they addicted themselves to the work of the ministry? I think that's what it says. They addicted them, Right? That's a good addiction to have. If you're going to have any addiction, be addicted to the ministry, to serving the Lord. Because you can only serve one master. And Paul's like, listen, this whole family there, respect the authority that God has placed in your life. Real simple. Verse 17, I am glad about the coming of Stephanus Fortunatus. Is that anybody looking for baby names? Here's a couple of great ones. <laughs> Honey, that's exactly what I was thinking. He looks just like a Fortunatus. <laughs> and a Caicus. <laughs> I love this. Look at, for what was lacking on your part, they supplied. For they refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge such men. These three guys, look what it says there. They saw the need, and what did they do? They met the need, right? Some people see the need, and you know what they do? They criticize. Man, when are they going to paint those stripes in the parking lot? Man, and I keep seeing this. There's that giant spider web in the other building. When are they going to clean that thing? You know, maybe the Lord's stirring your heart. Because, listen, the church is probably the most opinionated organization on planet Earth. Everybody's got an opinion. 
Everybody's got an idea of how things ought to be. And you know what? We get triggered over the most inconsequential things. Things that will not matter in heaven. Don't we fight over... Think, I mean, think about the dumb things that trigger us, that tick us off, that get under our skin. It's like, really? Is that going to matter in heaven? The argument you have with your spouse coming to church, is that going to matter in heaven? That's just an example. I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> the shoe fits where I love you. But is that going to matter? Is that, is that going to matter really in heaven? It's not. The color of the paint in the walls in the hall is not going to matter. I mean, you, you think about some of the things that we get in arguments about. Like make it, let's just do a bunch of colors. <laughs> I don't care. What matters is you guys. What matters is the people. God's precious people. And these guys, what, it says they brought refreshment to us. Listen, some men bring refreshment. Some men, they only bring refreshments. To bring refreshment, that's a beautiful thing to say about someone. Encouragement. They're not a drain. They're not bringing a burden. They're not going to weigh you down. I love that. I, I pray that that would be the description of our lives, that we would be those that refresh others. How does that happen? It happens by spending time with Jesus. Amen. Well, I didn't say it. Jesus did. John 7, 37. You want to soar this morning, this week? Jesus said, all you are thirsty, come to me and drink, and out of your heart will flow what? Rivers of living water. Your life will become a human drinking fountain. You'll be a refreshment to others. You'll no longer be a drain sucking everything down. Your life will be a refreshment. It's all about coming to Jesus, gang. It's that simple. And then we pour out, we dry out, we come back to Jesus and drink again. Are you with me? And sometimes we leak, we got to come right back to Jesus again and get filled up. Real simple. Isn't that beautiful? Real glory. Let's finish up. Verse 19. Can we do it? Yeah. We got one hour left. Thank you. <laughs> Various greetings. The churches of Asia greet you. That would be the seven churches of Revelation. There's a whole bunch of churches there. The churches of Asia say, hey, what's up? Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord. Yoo-hoo! With the church that is in their house. You guys remember Priscilla and Aquila? Little mom and pop team, right? That uh, came in contact with Paul, got saved, served the Lord. Look what they're doing. They're opening their home for fellowship. They want to minister. Six times they're mentioned in the New Testament. That's a blessing. All the brethren greet you. Everybody says, hey, what's up? Greet one another with a holy kiss. That's not one of the exhortations that I mentioned earlier. That Listen, it happens today around the world. Did you know that? When we go to Cuba, you guys know when we go to Cuba, they do the, it's like, wow, what is this thing? It's like, we don't practice it here, though. Do you know why? Because the single guys would be scoping out <laughs> the place to sit to make sure they get there. And, and you know what? If you want a holy kiss, my office is down the hall, hook a left. We'll talk about stuff. Holy kiss, not here. The salutation with my own hand. Paul's dictating the letter, letter and, and he gives his little endorsement. He signs off. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, 
Let him be accursed. That's heavy. Look how Paul ends this with the importance of loving Jesus. So much so that if someone doesn't love the Lord, Paul says that person is accursed, damned. Listen, you're either for Jesus or you're against him. There's no middle ground. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. If you don't love the Lord, there's no hope. And on the flip side, if we do love the Lord, look at the next part of that verse. He says, O Lord, come, or Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. If we love the Lord, we will be, it should compel us, it should cause our hearts to be eagerly and excitedly awaiting his return, because he is coming, gang. Amen. Verse 23, 24. Anybody else hear, hear bells? Or is that just me? I'm hearing things. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Paul had some hard things, but he spoke the truth in love. He loved these Corinthians. Amen. So be it in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much for this amazing book. and All the lessons that you've taught us. All the things you've ministered to our hearts. Help us, Lord, by the power of your spirit as we simply trust and obey and walk in these things that we would see you work. For you tell us it is God who works in us both to will and to do for your good pleasure. So, Lord, have your way. Cause us to grow, to thrive, to abound under your care for your glory.